podcast, Catechism of the Catholic Church in a Year. Today is day 78. We begin with number 571. The Paschal mystery of Christ's cross and resurrection stands at the center of the good news that the apostles and the church following them are to proclaim to the world. God's saving plan was accomplished once for all by the redemptive death of his son, Jesus Christ. The church remains faithful to the interpretation of all the scriptures that Jesus gave both before and after his Passover. What is not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Jesus' sufferings took place historical, concrete form from the fact that he was rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes who handed him to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged and crucified. Faith can therefore try to examine the circumstances of Jesus' death, faithfully handed on by the Gospels and illuminated by other historical sources, the better to understand the meaning of the redemption. From the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, certain Pharisees and partisans of Herod, together with priests and scribes, agreed together to destroy him. Because of certain of his acts, expelling demons, forgiving sins, healing on the Sabbath day, his novel interpretation of the precepts of the law regarding purity, and his familiarity with tax collectors and public sinners, some ill-intentioned persons suspected Jesus of demonic possession. He is accused of blasphemy and false prophecy, religious crimes which the law punished with death by stoning. Many of Jesus' deeds and words constituted a sign of contradiction, but more so for the religious authorities in Jerusalem, whom the gospel according to John often calls simply the Jews, than for the ordinary people of God. To be sure, Christ's relations with the Pharisees were not exclusively polemical. Some Pharisees warned him of the danger he was courting. Jesus praises some of them, like the scribe of Mark 12:34, and dined several times at their homes. Jesus endorses some of the teachings imparted by this religious elite of God's people. The resurrection of the dead, certain forms of piety, such as almsgiving, fasting, and prayer, the custom of addressing God as Father, and the centrality of the commandment to love God and neighbor. In the eyes of many in Israel, Jesus seems to be acting against essential institutions of the chosen people, submission to the whole of the law and its written commandments, and, for the Pharisees, the interpretation of oral tradition, the centrality of the temple at Jerusalem as the holy place where God's presence dwells in a special way, and faith in one God whose glory no man can share. Father. Thanks, Bill. You know, it's, it's important to, to see the, I would say, I think it's important at least to notice the one really strong reason for the condemnation of, of Jesus by the, by the religious elite, right? The Pharisees and Sadducees by the scribes um, is, is, is they call them, you know, they accuse them of blasphemy, which I remember there's a kind of a praise and worship song, uh, a kind of a, it's kind of an interesting song, actually. It's taken from uh, Matt Mars, real famous one, uh, you know, Christ is risen from the dead, and they take a like a spoken word poem and place it over it, and they uh, it just the line that always sticks out for me every time I listen to it is they accuse God of blasphemy, um, which is really <laughs> kind of funny, but also a really great expression of pride on the part of most men, right? That that we have this uh, thing that we think we understand, and then when it comes right in front of us, we have no idea what we're talking about, right? That we kind of have this. Um, it's like. Uh, I mean, we can, we can have a thousand and one examples of, 
people who just come right in front of it, you know, there's a, you know, one of the funny things about social media is, you know, the amount of times where, you know, somebody comes up to you, they, the people go up on the people on the street and they say, what do you know about this celebrity? And they're like talking to them. Right. And they have no idea what they're talking about. And they're like mocking them and all this stuff. And it's like, oops, that's awkward. That's kind of what happened <laughs> in a, in a much more extreme circumstance, obviously um, with Christ is that all of these people were talking about God and yet couldn't recognize them when they come face to face. There's another really important detail that the catechism hints at, um, but doesn't really say explicitly yet, which is Christ only talks with the Pharisees, right? You know, kind of, you know, anybody who's familiar with the gospels um, will kind of know that there's, there's two camps uh, within the Jewish uh, leaders in that, in that group of chief priests and scribes, right? That there is, not only the Pharisees, but the Sadducees. There's not a place in the gospel where Christ confronts or discusses or does anything with the Sadducees. It's actually a really important thing for us to remember because what the reason that Christ <laughs> goes, you know, discusses things with the Pharisees is because they're close, right? They're close to the truth. That's what that's what the Catechism points out here when it says, you know, the resurrection from the dead, forms of piety, addressing God as Father. And the centrality of commandments to love God and neighbor, right? That like he knows, like, oh, look at how close they are. They don't get it all the way. They don't have the fullness yet, but they're at least, you know, worth discussing with. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Everything is natural to them. Not worth not even worth his time, which is a lot of time because he's God. And he still says, No, 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 no. You're you're not willing to really engage in in reality. And so there's there's things are important as we approach this this section of the catechism of why Christ dies, um, and it's it, it's the relationship with the incarnate God and His chosen people, right? Is He He's open to anybody, right? He's open to even the, the Samaritans, you know. He searches them out. He's open to uh, obviously the Gentiles as well. Um, but for those who have a, a a connection to the truth but don't want to submit to it. He's not much for them, right? That That's kind of us too, is we, we should see ourselves in this position of like, hold on, where am I? Am I am I a little bit off holding on to things incorrectly, but but desiring to see God? Am I at this point where if God came face to face with me, I'd recognize him or would I not? Or am I just going through the motion? Am I, am I just kind of sitting, coming in contact with the truth and completely rejecting everything, but still kind of claiming that title? Claiming that title of, of a disciple of God, of a follower of him, and and not really living it out. Because we have those different we have those different approaches to to God. Do we are we really living in a way that we can see him when he shows up? Are we holding on to the, the externals of the faith, but not really quite being able to recognize the relationship that's there? Or are we just doing it because we have to? Because we think we have to, and if we don't. There's not many of those people left in the world, but but the invitation of God is that He's coming for us. He's He's moved towards us so that we can move back to Him. This is great news, even though what it will cost is everything from Christ.